right, Pat, you ready? I'm ready. All right, Ty, you ready? It's been a while. Been a little bit. Summer break's over. Summer break's <laughs> over. Time out, Tyler. Who are we taking the time out with today? Kevin, good to see you, buddy. And today, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we are taking uh, a timeout, a much-needed full timeout with Pat Smith, the CEO of Serve Denton. And Pat, thanks for being on the show. Kevin, thanks for showing up today. And hey, let's kick it right off, Pat. If, if we have Kevin coming down from Rochester, where are we taking him to eat? We're taking him to eat to Lone Star Attitude on the Square in Denton, Texas. Woo. All right, I gotta ask, what's the top thing on the menu, Pat? You said that with such a, a, a certainty right there. Oh yeah, it's it's the the George Strait burger. I mean, it's it's bodacious and it's. I mean, they bring out fries in a tray like this, and you can get regular fries or garlic fries and um, all the beer you can drink. And they live music at night, looking Woo. out over the one of the most visited squares of any Denton of any county in the state of Texas. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Everything bigger that? in Texas. That, it sounds like that. You just confirmed what? that for me. <laughs> Why is that? Because it yeah. is, it is considered one of the most beautiful courthouses in the state built oh. by German itinerant Masons in 1887. Wow. Oh, well, that's amazing. All right. Well, I got to learn a little bit more about you now, Pat, what type of music, if I, if I was to hack into your iPhone or your iPad, or your iPod, even what's what's what would I find as the number one played song? Uh, number one played song would be um, probably uh, George Strait, any George Strait song, but uh, Amarillo I'm noticing by a morning. theme here. Amarillo George by Strait Morning Berger, is George. the number one. <laughs> Amarillo <laughs> by Morning. <laughs> I love it. Home, San Antonio. I love it, Pat. Well, dude, this is great. Well, Pat, you uh. You took me on a tour of your building last week or a couple last month, I want to say. And I've been trying to describe the culture around your building, your, your, the, the energy. I was just telling Kevin that there's not even a Windex bottle that goes wasted because there's a color code on, 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 on you know, how much Windex is left. Can you kind of just dive right in to, uh, to, to what Serve Denton is about? Sure. So Serve Denton is... Uh, a nonprofit that I started 10 years ago, uh, 2012, when we firmly uh, got started. And our mission is to partner with nonprofits by making services more accessible for people in need. And the way we partner is we provide a high quality, affordable office space and, and tailored mission space. And I'll talk more about that in a second. So the organizations that can come in have a really good place to work and fulfill their mission alongside many other nonprofit organizations focused on health and human services. And the problem that we started off to solve is when people are in need, and need really knows no bounds. There's people who make six figures whose children have been severely abused. Um, and then there's those who are experiencing homelessness. And they can get all those needs met here. Uh, we have 21 nonprofit agencies. And that's the fundamental problem we set out to solve is to make it easy to find help uh, so that you're not trying to navigate a very complicated system, driving around town, trying to find organizations that are often in 
really substandard facilities that don't help them accomplish their mission. And so now when you walk in here, you feel like it's you're treated with dignity and respect. You're you're greeted. People here that work here are happy to be here because we provide a nice environment. And that makes everyone's life a lot easier, more meaningful, improves quality of life and improves services. We served over 35,000 people last year, unique individuals that served in um, from everything from clothing and food and rent assistance up to employment, medical care, counseling. And when a community has that safety net that's nice and strong, that gives people confidence uh, about the community they live in, that they know people are working together to help those who are struggling, because we're all gonna struggle at some point. And when that those struggles come, we as Americans need to come together to help one another and that's that's part of the American way, I believe. Yeah, well, it's, I, th I think just coming together towards a, a common mission. And I think you you shared a little bit about that yeah. and that mission specific. And I think mission is kind of what what everybody is searching for is that purpose right now that we all we all kind of found ourselves right. whether we are on the right path or realized during the pandemic that this wasn't the path that I want to be on, and I'm looking to change paths at that, that point. How do you? Because being 20, 2012, I mean, and, and then we go into a pandemic, you, you kind of started after uh, the shakeout of 20, 2008, another, another financial crisis. Right. How do you build the team around the purpose of, of what you guys do at Serve Denton? Well, first, I have to cast the vision. Uh, and uh, people have often said, you know, Pat, you're very good at casting a vision that people can buy into. Um, what that really means is I have to tell the same story about a thousand times, uh, be very consistent, and then back that up with my actions, uh, and then bring people along. So one of the sayings I often share is, and we're, we'll talk more about where we're going with Serve Denton and Serve Louisville now, is you can go, if you want to go fast, you can go alone, or you need to go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together. And so uh, it takes a lot of time to just, you know, coffee and beers and meals, just sharing that vision, being clear about the desired end state, but also being willing to shift and, you know, within certain guardrails or staying within a certain lane um, to make sure that people can get on the, the, program and move forward with you and I just had a board retreat last week and I was asked what am I most proud of and I'm not proud of the I'm proud of the building but I'm most proud of, of the board members past and present who bought into the vision and have most of them stayed all nine years um, and I'm very proud of my board and the time talent and treasure that they've contributed to make Serbdent a reality and now people, communities from across North Texas said, you know, I want that. I want that for my community. How can I get that? I think that's something that uh, people want to leave a legacy. And this gives an opportunity for people to leave that legacy and to have made a difference in the lives of others in a meaningful way. 
love it. And I love how, how Louisville wants a piece of it too, Pat. I'm like, why not? You know, when it, yeah. as soon as I walked into your, your, your building, you know, I noticed how when I was telling Kevin how, how it was brand new, as it was upgraded, it was clean, you know, cleaner than clean. And when you think of nonprofits, we're always thinking sort of dungy, you know, and right. just gloomy yeah. and people just kind of getting by. But, you know, when you brought that, you know, that you said the Toyota way to it, right. uh, to nonprofit, it's like that. <laughs> good luck with failing there. Like that, that's, yes. that's almost an unbeatable uh, recipe. If you ask me, and I was going to see if you could dive into kind of how you got into this, Pat, um, you shared an awesome story with me about your father. Um, you know, with his, with his passing and what you learned at his funeral. Could you kind of dive into that and kind of segue into what kind of boosted you to, to get you to get you into served it? And I think. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. It, I retired from the Air Force in 2008. I was a colonel. I was basically the landlord of the Air Force. I managed about 100,000 homes, had a $3.7 billion portfolio. Wow. I retired, went into the consulting made a lot of money, but hated what I did. Uh, and my dad died in uh, October, 2009. And I learned a lot about my dad and he, he struggled as a young man uh, from the time he was a teenager when his dad died. He uh, just didn't have any aim in life. And he grew up in uh, Southern upstate New York, uh, Wellsville and uh, went into the Navy. And after the Navy, he just kind of floated around for several years. And finally he went um, through the help of uh, my uncle. He got serious about life, went to Rochester Institute of Technology, got a associate's degree, went to work for Bosch Alum and then onto Xerox. And then we moved down here in 73. And uh, it's 1980, dad had the opportunity to open his own restaurant in uh, near University of North Texas, and he did that. He always loved to cook, and uh, it was called Jim's Diner, and he became a very popular place, uh, served real high-quality meals, a lot of things from upstate New York, like beef on wick and Reuben sandwiches, <laughs> things like that, and uh, so long story made short, dad was known for his breakfast, uh, and he after I left for the Air Force, he got in the habit of helping a lot of people, uh, keeping them going, feeding them, because there was not a place to get a meal if you were down and out. And uh, when he passed, um, I was struck by, by how many people uh, reached out to our family just to express how grateful they were for dad's life and what he did for them. And, I mean, there was hundreds of folks that posted on social media about dad. And then when we had his memorial service, people came from all over the country, New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Denver, San Antonio. Um, and I officiated his ceremony. It was on Veterans Day and I'm there in my dress uniform from, uh, as a retired Colonel. And I was struck by how many people had came. And afterwards I, was at the door shaking hands and thanking them and I asked them, why did you come? And they all said the same thing. And they said, your dad was either A, the best boss I ever had, or B, your dad saved my life. And I asked them how he did that. And they shared that, you know, he fed them when he was hung, they were hungry. They, he kept them going when, and encouraged them when they were ready to give up. And so 
based on that experience, I was convicted about my life in relation to my dad's life. And I said, you know what? I've been blessed. I mean, I have tremendous education from the courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer. I've got tremendous experience courtesy of the Air Force. Um, and so I made a decision on that day to leave the private sector and to go into ministry. It took a year to do that. But when I, I did, I just started working with low-income individuals and families and uh, started several uh, ministries, um, which is another talk for another day. But long story made short, as I started working with families, I saw that you know, people can live 30 days without food, three, three days without water, three minutes without air, but they can't live three seconds without hope. And in the midst of 2010, 2011, people were running out of hope. And it was very hard for them to get assistance. And I said, this is broken. And so I said, I know how to fix this and uh, use my skills and um, experience to say, hey, we can do better and let's create a center and that the church I worked for at the time said, we love that idea, let's do it. And we uh, began that effort in, in earnest in 2011, got formal in 2012, moved our first two agencies in in 2014. 2017, we had nine agencies operating out of this building that we were leasing for a dollar a year, the church that owned the building wanted to uh, sell it to a school and um, in exchange for us ending our lease, they gave me a million dollars and said, go, go find a property, go buy it and go renovate it. So we did. And we took that million dollars um, and two years later, that was in 2017, in late 2018, we um, were able to close on a form of financing called New Market Tax Credits. It's a program of the U.S. Treasury Department where essentially an investor gives us an infusion of cash and they get tax credits on their income over seven years. And so U.S. Bank became our investor. We And we were able to take the million dollars and turn that into a $10 million project with lots of other people contributing and build a campus now that's five acres uh, we're up 48,000 square feet will be 52,000 by the end of the fall. And um, we're now serving 35,000 people a year. That's amazing. Just talking about your impact. That's a, just, I appreciate you sharing that story and, and kind of seeing that legacy that your father was able to leave behind and that impact. And I think legacy is an interesting question, um, right? And, and before I ask you that question, I want to ask because I think it might have something to do with your father or with just through your life circumstances. What is the best piece of advice that you ever received, Pat? Do your best every day. I love that. But dad. I love that. <laughs> And it's there so true. That's a, you know, wow. He's almost a spinning image. He just had more hair. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's awesome. Do your best every day. I, I love that because it's it is that simple. But I think something else that you touched on is that we can do better, right? And I think that is oh, one yeah. of those that's one of those pieces that I would love to dive more deeper with you is 
how do you how do you continue to evolve right um things yeah. are changing obviously what you had done and what you had accomplished in 2012 you've probably had to change a lot and adapt oh, yeah. is it that constant just being genuinely curious like how are you that comfortable with change pat because others aren't how did you get yourself comfortable with that change and then how do you get your team and their board comfortable with that same change yeah great questions uh so you know dad and mom both stress the importance of do your best every day uh, i will tell you our path to success is paid with failures i've learned early on in my air force career to embrace failure there was times i failed miserably and my bosses always help me get up dust me off and keep going on and every time i i grew dramatically in my learning and uh and continuously improved and that's really why i become a, such an ardent student of the toyota way uh that's their mantra you know you'll never hear anyone at toyota talk about well we're the best car company there is no best you can't you know you can't compare companies that way but what you can compare is is where are you today? Where are you tomorrow? And where do you want to be tomorrow? And how do you get there? And I saw my parents, I was blessed to have two parents who both started their own small businesses and they did it the right way. They started off extremely small, but over time, they just added a little bit every day, got a little bit better. And, you know, when, when dad sold his business and mom, sold her business they were you know a hundred thousand fold larger than when they started and you know they started off with four hundred dollars and you know 700 square feet and so just seeing their example and then um just realizing that you know in my life and things i've done in my air force career the only certainty is change there is no other certainty outside of you know, what I believe in my in the Lord. And uh, they, you know, we, we get so hung up and I think it, our society does a disservice to say, well, it's, you know, uh, we're not gonna deal with change. We want everything to stay the same. Well, it's not, whether you like it or not. Uh, and so you can either you can either prepare for it or you can just be run over by it. <laughs> yes. And Pat, what what's what would you say you've learned most from the Toyota Way? Uh, just the importance of problem solving and and as a leader, encouraging learning. Uh, really, Toyota is a phenomenal learning organization. When you, and I just spent a week with them up in Maine, uh, and they want to create a program here for nonprofits. And, and so they sent me to Maine for a course with the CEOs of other industries. And uh, they're a phenomenal learning organization. And they use that ability to learn to adapt and, and, and overcome. You know, that's one of my sayings is, you know, we're gonna improvise, adapt and overcome. Uh, and the way you you really learn the Toyota production system and how to implement that, that is 
to plan, do, check, and adjust, plan, do, check, and adjust. And you're continuously looking at very small improvements. The sum total of those is huge. And I can show you those numbers just here at served uh, you know, reducing our average response time to a customer request from eight days to two hours. And what, you know, I, I'm sure you ate a few lobster rolls over this up in May, I hope. But um, wh where does it come from? Like, like, you know, like we're like in leader, like, of course, in leadership or in, 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 so I guess the question I'm trying to ask is how do you, how do you teach a whole company to, yeah. to buy in? That's a great question. And that's a, that's exactly why I was in Maine is the company I was there to meet with was called Yotul. Yotul is a company that makes high efficiency woods and gas stoves. They're a Norwegian company. The guy that runs it is a gentleman named Brett, Brett Watson. He's been there about 25 years. And so it always starts at the top. It's always got to be the leader's got to say, this is important and this is what we're going to do. But immediately it's, it's based on this idea of respect for people. That the most important people are not the end user, it's the employees. And that's a that's often a uh, antithesis to a lot of businesses uh, where they, at Yotul and at Toyota, they put a lot of stock into their employees and respecting them. And the reason we do this is not to cut costs, it's to show respect for our employees to make their job as easy and as efficient as possible so they don't feel like they're wasting their time, that their value or their input and ideas are of value and that they're contributing. They're not just showing up getting a paycheck. And when they when people buy into that vision and buy into that value system, it's amazing what you can do, whether it's in the military or in the corporate world or in the nonprofit world, when people buy in and to those core values and know that they're going to be treated with respect, you can move mountains. I love that. And we, we see it like a lot of organizations put up those values on the, on the walls. And then yeah, but it can't really... be just up on the wall. Correct. And then it's not, how do you make those come to action? And, and, and yeah. really, when do you protect those? That I think is because that tells you what, what value or what priority those values are. And if they get in the way of business, are we willing to throw those values out the out the door in order to get business? And I love that. And I think respect is like that big word, right? And and understanding that respect is not given, it's earned is, is what also what you're sharing. Right. And and having that ability, whether you have the title or not, is that it is a community. We are working together. And I loved where you said kind of those small steps, right? To incrementally get better. And those small changes lead to big things. Like eight days down to two hours. But I, I too see it quite frequently, Pat, like uh, where they put more of an emphasis on the customer or the consumer um, and really neglect uh, the employee. Um, that is uh, a major part of that entire relationship with that customer um, and improving their lives. I guess, when did you realize that? I, I mean, given, given because uh, it is a journey for a lot of leaders and, yeah. and you coming from a military where people are willfully signing up to be a part of this organization, right, in, in, in the military. Um, and then now you're in the nonprofit. Your coffers are even less than what the, the military had and even less than, than the private, or the private sector, public sector as well. 
what what when did you come to that realization that that employee experience equaled customer experience and that really was the lifeblood of the organization because a lot of people say it very few do it yeah. and follow up with action you know uh, there's not a a single point in time i think when i was a deploy when i was deployed to Bahrain in 2002-2003 it was asked to do some very challenging things with uh, a small group of people i had like 85 people under my knee my command and i had to give a lot of responsibility to some very junior people but what i i learned that experience we did 55 million dollars of construction in six months and i mean i was traveling i was relying on 23 and 24 year olds to manage multi-million dollar contracts. And I said, Hey, I'm going to trust you to do this. I'm going to give, I'm here to help you do your best, but you, you got to do it. You got to step up. And just to see how they responded to that guys that I frankly didn't even want them to come with me. It changed their life. The moment I showed them that respect and said, you trust me with doing this. And I said, yeah, I do, because you're the guy. You've got the technical experience, and you've got to come through, or else we're not going to be able to help the Marines launch C-130s to provide the bullet beans, bullets, and mandates. I mean, it got that serious. And, uh, and so just showing that respect, giving them the resources and the confidence, and then to see how they responded how it changed their career trajectory, how that changed their confidence in themselves was probably the start of that. But then how do you as an organization make that part of the culture? And that's really what attracted me to the Toyota way back. And I, you know, I started really researching it in 2015, 2016, but I didn't, completely sipped the kool-aid until 2020 so that's i i love that story and if i could dive a little bit deeper with that is is you almost just entrusted them you empowered them um to really do the jobs of why they were were there now that in and of itself when you're putting your name on that and entrusting that they're going to do a good job how did you get yourself comfortable with that because i think that's one of those roadblocks that really prevents a lot of that autonomy where you're pushing down those expectations and those responsibilities. Cause at the end of the day, your name is on it when you're talking up the chain or up the ladder. How did yeah, you do well, that self work Pat to get comfortable with? I need these people. I know if I entrust them to do it, they're still going to do a great job. And regardless, if we fail, we're going to learn together. Yeah. Well, desperation is a very powerful force. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you got, you know, Marine three star saying, I need, I need a parking ramp in 90 days to park 20 C one thirties. And you're the only guy in the theater that can do it. And I'm counting on you. Yeah. You know, at one point, some of those kids work 48 hours straight to make that happen. But guess what? They all got a Navy accommodation medal with a, with the Marine device on it from a Marine three star. Wow. And, you know, what we say in the military is men and women will die to get a little piece of fabric in their chest. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did almost. Wow. It sounds so, like. Pardon me. Go ahead. So, go, go, Pat. So, just 
you know, when you've got so much coming in, it's not like I can say, well, you know what, we're not going to take you as a customer. I, I can't say that. I mean, these guys are, we're about to go across the wire and put their lives on the line. And my job, my duty was to support them in every way possible. And, you know, we literally moved mountains of stone and dirt to help them do their mission. And uh, you just, when you can't micromanage at that point, you just have to trust, you, you know, give them the advice and the coaching that they needed and, and trust them to do the job. And if they make a mistake, they're going to make a mistake. That's to me is, you know, one of the things I, I think I think shared this with Tyler is I'm real fond of fail reports and fail reports stand for first attempt and learning. So, you know, let's, let's own, own the mistake, figure out what we need to do to change it and get better. And when there's no fear of failure where failure is expected. And I, in my organization, I expect my people to fail. If they're not failing, they're not trying. <laughs> it's awesome, man. That, that's what's wonderful, Pat. I think I shared that with Kevin as soon as I walked out your doors a month ago. I said, dude, I, I learned a lot about, you know, failing, you know, you hear failing forward, but I've never heard expecting failure and celebrating failure you know i think i yeah. shared with you pat in the 90s dude it was like yeah right man you don't fail around here you know it's perfect or nothing um but uh pat, I just wanted to, what perfect is bullshit yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a the magic dragon it's not real um and and it sounds to me you know if you, if you didn't include a little if you include a little purpose you know that really can drive the folks oh yeah um, that's what you know and that's what i think what drives me and kevin today it's not just who we work for or what we do it's you know and it's 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 leaving that legacy behind of course and and just doing the right thing for people and that's a lot harder than it sounds sometimes you know the, the you know and saying what you're going to do um Pat, I was wondering, I forgot to ask you when I visited you in that, in that cow herd back chair back there, that skin. Um, around what age were you and where were you when you knew you were going to be a CEO someday? Well, I didn't really think I was going to be a CEO till I don't know. I mean, I was an executive, the executive director of the organization in 2012, but uh, I didn't use the title CEO. I mean, I, I guess in 2016, 18 or 2019 when we negotiated the deal and you know now it was all right we got to start acting like big boys you know, um, that's when i uh, realized that was going to become my title and uh, i think a lot of people saw it before i did in a lot of ways i mean i was i worked for for nothing for for free for eight years wow well, yeah, and let's, I, I love, I love the religious side of it because I think a lot of people, it's, we don't talk about our faith as much anymore. Um, but I think it's an important motivator for, for everything that you oh, yeah. do. Um, so I guess, how has that made you a better leader by leaning into your faith? And, 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 and Tyler and I joke about the, the people that will hit your ankles right, right after the hours uh, let out, they'll, they'll still hit you almost in the parking lot, but they're, they're, they're holy, you know, they got their hour. They're, they're good with God at that point. Yeah. How do you make that really become alive within the organization? And, and I think it has to do with the respect. I think it has to do with the trust that you're building with your employees. How do you, how do you lean on your faith or when do you lean on your faith in leadership? 
Well, I, every day I lean on my faith. And so part of, to me, the flip side of uh, being comfortable with failure is extending grace. So my God is a God of grace and love. He is, you know, you know I'm accountable for my actions and I believe he's going to judge me for those actions, but because of my faith in him, he's extended me grace. And who am I not to extend that grace to others? Whether it's the homeless guy in the corner, now does that mean I hand out dollars to every homeless guy? No, because there's there's a difference between enabling and helping, and, and that's a whole other conversation for another day. But, uh, you know, I made serve Dutton as a place where you, if you're serious and you want to get help, you come here and we're going to help you. And we do. And I can tell you dozens of stories uh, about that. But at the end of the day, uh, I think we all are much too fast to judge and too slow to extend grace. Hmm. Um, yeah. And that's what Jesus Christ did for me. And uh, I can't thank him enough. And I just, my, and that's what my dad did. Yeah. My dad was a better Christian, and even though he didn't go to church, he was a better Christian than most Christians. Exactly, and I, I can he, say the same with a lot of those silent people out there. And that's, and, and I think what I gathered earlier, and this is kind of coming to to light now, Pat, is that you are practicing more gratitude. I think through your experience with your father, and maybe just in life itself, and you're grateful for the opportunity that the Navy gave you, and grateful for these other op opportunities. But if we're not sharing our own gratitude and what we've been right. given. We're always going to be searching for more and more and more. Um, and I really, I like that you have taken this time or this opportunity like others during the pandemic, having another necessary pause to really practice more of that gratitude. Because um, I think you yeah. see now maybe the people that you have in front of you and the great responsibility in a leadership role, but the work that you're doing, I, I'm not in Texas, but uh, the community is, is very fortunate enough to have a leader like you in, in a position that really is committed to making and driving that difference. So I appreciate what you're sharing with us today, especially in that gratitude bucket, because I think that's something we can all practice a little bit more of, because then Absolutely. I think if we're more grateful for what we already have and what has happened, um, maybe we will extend a little bit more grace to others and understanding yeah. that we have a unique opportunity, but also privilege in some cases. Well, absolutely. I love the play, but the Hi, anything else to wrap us up here, brother? Man, we got about we have just a few more minutes, but Pat, I always love to ask every CEO what gets you out of bed every morning. I think I know the answer, but if you could just share that with our our listeners right now, what gets yeah. Smith out of bed to this day? Uh, it's a two-sided coin. Uh, one side of the coin is the joy I get out of pulling a team together and doing something that's unique, that's challenging, and to me, that is going to have a uh, a long-term impact you know people often said pat you're really good at playing a long game and so uh that's something that is very important to me and then on the flip side is to take care of those who are hurting who you know who's the, the person on the side of the road that the good samaritan helped uh, there's a lot of people on the side of the road these days and uh, well, I want to be that end where people could come and, and get help and know that they're going to be cared for with dignity and respect. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I get the greatest joy out of is when I see 
people come in and we share stories every week of folks that we've helped and and how they shared about what that meant to them and um, i think if we could all do that on a daily basis the world would be a much better place i love that just that reflection and knowing what the individual employee how they made an impact on their life that yeah. that scratches that purpose you know and just know telling them frequently of how you're helping the organization because we can right. find ourselves just doing the job you know reaction action reaction action and that's where we get into that burnout phase when we don't know the difference or the impact that we're making so kudos to you pat this was a Thank fabulous you. conversation an awesome discussion um, I learned a lot. I, uh, Tyler and I always joke about how many pages of notes. I think I'm up to <laughs> six or seven for this discussion. So, Pat, I really do appreciate you taking Thanks, the hour Kevin. with us, having this yeah. conversation, but also just your ability that you're teaching other future leaders uh, through, through your actions. So thank you for the great impact that you're not only having in the local community, but also beyond. Uh, so I really, really do appreciate it. And thank you so much again for your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Kevin and Tyler, appreciate it and look forward to hearing from you.